0: Okay, I'm going to have you join me again in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Today, the last word of verse 22, which is the word faithfulness. I am very mindful of the fact that uh, over the course of, uh, well, I've been here for five years, the topic of faith has come up a few times, hasn't it? We have studied faith. We've looked at faith from all kinds of angles. We've looked at faith. And,
1: and I know
0: we will all conclude, boy, do we need it. And uh, what we have today needs improvement. But we thank the Lord for it. And today I, I couldn't possibly cover every single aspect, dimension, whatever you want to call it, of faith. There is no way to cover this in a single service. I'm going to kind of work my way down toward two things. And one thing particularly, and that is the source. The source of faith. And that will spill into the service side of faith. So that's our study today. But as we look at our text in Galatians 5, verse 22 and verse 23, again we see the same words, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. There's our word. Gentleness, self control. Against such things there is no law. Heavenly Father, we come again there to your feet, praying that you would teach us through this time that we have in your word, your will as we've just seen, presented, and heard in words of this song, and and even in the hand motions that went with it. Your will is a wonderful thing. Sometimes it's hard for us to bend the knee, to accept with our heart the things that you have designed for us, and yet everything you do is great, is perfect, and is the best thing for us. Today as we study faith, We are that dependent upon you. To understand this word even better than we have ever had. To know that it is from you and we must come to you for this too. So teach us today in this uh, time together. And challenge our hearts thoroughly we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Faith. Faithfulness. you look it up in a dictionary you get all kinds of words. Uh, that go along with this, uh, anything from dedication uh, to commitment to being persuaded. There's, it's just got a, a host of different words to it. And I realized even as I was preparing this message and thinking about where would I find the examples of accomplishments, uh, commitment, dedication, the things that are, are just standing out more than it would in the normal course of life. Where would I see such things? I, and I couldn't help but think, as our theme is on the internal battlefield, how many external battlefields have exhibited this kind of faith. Maybe not a spiritual faith, a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but certainly a, a, a dedication and a faith and a commitment to what they believed in, and what they lived for, and what they died for. I've never fought on a battlefield anywhere in this world.
1: I I have never been a
0: soldier, or a sailor, or an airman, like some of you have served in our armed forces. The the Lord's path was not for me to take that direction, but with intense admiration, and with uh, deep appreciation, I think of you who have served our country, who have served in the military and, and perhaps have even seen conflict in the days that you did. I could only assume that battlefields are not a welcome place. But all those battlefields, many times, that's where character is shown, where courage is tested and refined and exhibited. We read how many times of incredible accomplishments, uh, intense durability the, the commitment in that time of conflict we read of those stories uh, those are the things that deserve to be said they need to be heard uh, they need to be taught to our children you know we do live in a day and age where, where these things are ignored and even deleted from our country's history and a generation is growing up not knowing what dedication looks like I think they are are worse for it without knowing what has gone on. I think it's something that needs to be set before them. There's my opinion on all that, but I know what a difference it's made in my heart and in my life to see these things. One of the most difficult eras in the history of this country uh, called for such dedication. President Lincoln uh, spoke for only a few moments. Uh, when he stated the Gettysburg Address. And yet, if you listen very carefully to those brief words, you can't miss the passion and the intensity of the dedication that he referred to. He said, Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come here to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who gave their lives that this nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, It is rather for us to be be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us. That from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain. That this nation under God should have a new birth of freedom... And that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. That still needs to be said in our capitals. Needs to be said before the people of our land. We have a task before us. And I'm not giving a political sermon this morning. But I am inspired by those words. When I read those words, you can't miss the devotion... That is stated in there. And so I take that and I kind of swing it now toward the task before us. We've been studying a battlefield and we're standing on it right now. It's inside of us the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. And you know it, don't you? We all know it. It's an intense, intense battle. And it calls for a devotion, it calls for a resolve. It calls for something that needs yet to be finished in the spiritual struggle within us. We simply bring it down to the word faith today. And that's what our our picture has to be. Because verse 17 said it so very clearly to us. That the flesh has set its desire against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. And these two are in opposition to one another. That you may not do the things that you please. The spirit and the flesh are so entrenched in their position against each other. Don't wait for them to come up with a peace treaty. It will not happen. There will be no cooperation between these two. There will be no compromise between these two. There are no negotiations. The flesh does not accept the things of the Spirit. It does not. It will not. The Holy Spirit does not accept the things of the flesh. He will not accept the things of the flesh. You see, both of these, and this is essential, I, I'm going to state it as clearly as I can, both of these, the flesh and the Holy Spirit, seek fundamentally change you in every facet of your life. Both of them have that desire. What the flesh will have you be has been recorded for us in verse 19, 20, and 21. A very ugly little set of verses, huh? Let the flesh have its way and that's where you will look in just a few short moments of time. The Holy Spirit will have you be what He's describing you in verse 22 and 23. He will instill this in you. He will perfect this in you. It is His love. It is His joy. It is His peace. It is His patience. You get my emphasis so far? It is His kindness. It is his goodness. It is His faithfulness. And if any word probably sums up our God the best, is the fact that He is faithful. Even when we are faithless, He will still do it. Wow. What a great God we have. But I emphasize His. And I do that in, in, very importantly because the fruit is His. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Even faith must be understood like this. It is His fruit. We are not the source of faith. We do not manufacture faith. We do not maintain faith. We are not capable of such things. Right now, there's a a wrestling match in your mind. You say, but how can that be? What, what, What are you trying to say, Pastor? Give me... Your time this morning, and I will show you. Faith is so easily confused. It really, really is. Many of these items we have discussed as we go along here. But we've seen this. We've seen this man, or we've seen this woman. They're they're totally unrelated to the Christian life. We call them an unbeliever. And, And they're capable of loving very intensely, very dedicatedly. They can love. They can be kind. And we've all benefited from very kind people who have no relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we have seen them show faith in some aspect, in some dedication, in some commitment. We've seen those kind of things in these folks too. And so we've been taught growing up to, to be loving, We've been taught to be kind. We, we've been, been taught elements of faithfulness, haven't we? Been taught that? We've been taught to be faithful in our jobs and faithful in our marriage and, and faithful in this and faithful in that. We've been taught that. And so what we have done is that we dug deep within ourselves and we muster up that character we call faith and we march on as if it's our doing. Let's not forget this that man was made in the image of God. And because man is made in the image of God, we're not talking about physical characteristics here, the appearance of a man, so to speak, but primarily when we talk about personhood, the personhood of man reflects the personhood of God in the sense that personhood is made up of intellect, emotion, and will. If you boil it down to three things. That makes you different than a tree or a rock. Intellect, emotion, and will. God has those, <laughs> obviously, to the fullest degree. But that character of God when he made man, he implanted it within man. That character, that character of emotion, and that character of, of intellect, that character of will, he has put it inside of man. But we have to be very quick to acknowledge that man sinned. Man sinned. He's no longer free to exhibit and experience the fullness of these things. Because sin brings death and decay and ruin. It has degenerated our faculties. It it has stained ourselves. It has rendered us helpless and hopeless.
1: In our marred
0: ability to even reflect that image that God has put in man. If only Adam and Eve would have known the full consequences of that sin. Wow. Our intellect has been made incapable of understanding spiritual things. In First Corinthians 2 verse 14... The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Our intellect is affected. Our emotions are affected. Our emotions now take aim at pleasing self and competing with others for the top position. And in Titus chapter 3 verse 3... It speaks that we were once foolish ourselves, disobedient and deceived and enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. How quickly we take the emotion and just pull out the darker side of all those things and live that way. Our emotions have been affected by sin. Our will... Our will has been affected by sin. Our determination now is to have things our own way, right? And that dominates our lives. The the simplest of calls was by the Lord Jesus Christ, such a loving Savior. I picture him one day when he's standing out looking over the city of Jerusalem and the words you've heard before. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you. How often I wanted to gather you together. You. I wanted to gather you like the hen gathers her chicks. But you were unwilling. You were unwilling. Don't be surprised at the very things that make for the image of God in us our intellect, our emotion, our wills have become depraved because of sin. Do I believe in the doctrine of depravity? Yes. Yes, I do. You could argue with me all you want, but I look in the mirror in the morning. I don't need a whole lot to convince me that man is sinful. In every nook and cranny,
1: I know that.
0: I see, I experience, it is true. Paul called himself the chief of sinners, and some of us are competing for that position, aren't we? The chief of sinners. Now, why did I go all this? I just want to convey to you that there are unbelievers who are capable of love, of faith, of these kind of elements. And what they are exhibiting is what God has given them in the first place.
1: That's not of their own
0: doing, you see. That's just a picture, a little touch, if you will, of what God has done for mankind in the beginning. Now, what I want to convey to you, especially this morning, is this. When I I seek to set a foundation for this study of faith, I have to talk about its source. If we don't have the source right, the service doesn't matter, really. We have to understand the source of our faith. Our will is so very strongly in its fleshly opposition to the things of the Spirit. It's got a grip that's so intent that it even deceives us. I believe in believing that we can muster up faith of our own accord.
1: I think our will
0: makes us think that way, somehow deceiving us that our our depraved, deficient, fleshly, fattened faith is sufficient for satisfying God. Scripture says, "Without faith, it is impossible to please God." I love that verse in Hebrews 11, verse six. It is impossible. Now, that doesn't mean just barely able. That means you can't. Without faith, you cannot please God. And so the flesh can read that and reach down into its grimy little pocket and produce this little thing they call faith. And say, here, this is my devotion, God. I, I want to appease you with it. And I'm just going to lay it here and I'm going to go on my way and do what I please. Unchanged. Unchanged. Because God only just wants a, a touch of faith. And... So we think that it's our faith that God seeks. I'm going to show you that that is not primarily what God seeks. It's not our faith. It's His faith in us. Second thing I'll add to this as I go is that the issue of faith reveals a very selfish reality of our heart. We are really, down at the core, unwilling to change. We get comfortable in our little spot. We, we feel like we're doing well. Well, this, this fleshly-led change, this spirit-led change, there's a, there's a conflict between these two. And, and if one would go from the flesh to the spirit, there's a rending away of that flesh. It makes the self shrink back from such things uh, because it sounds painful to accept. A.W. Tozer has written a brilliant book called The Pursuit of God. And in that, he calls this very conflict the tyranny of things. I'm just going to read you a paragraph here I think is uh, fascinating. He says, Our Lord referred to this tyranny of things when he said to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. That's Matthew 16, 25. Breaking this truth into fragments for our better understanding, it would seem that there is within each of us an enemy, which we tolerate at our own peril. Jesus called it life and self. Or, as we would say, the self-life. Its chief characteristic is its possessiveness. The words gain and profit suggest this. To allow this enemy to live is, in the end, to lose everything. To repudiate it and give it all up for Christ's sake is to lose nothing at last, but to preserve everything unto life eternal. And possibly, also, a hint is given here as to the only effective way to destroy this foe. It is by the cross. Let him take up his cross and follow me. At a cross, there is pain. Change from the fleshly to the spiritual is going to be painful. Because the flesh will not let go. It's at war. It's at war. So when it comes to faith, don't be surprised at this at all. That our study is not a self-induced faith. A spirit-given faith is what we're looking at here. It must be unique from the flesh. It's an opposition to the flesh. It, It has the pure qualities of divine faith. So it cannot be a mixture of a little of your faith and a little bit of my faith and mix it with God's faith. It's not a composite of anything that's flesh and spirit. Faith is defined as its source is from God. It's defined in the Bible in several ways, but perhaps the best is Hebrews chapter 11. Let's go over there, verse number 1 and verse number 2. Hebrews 11, verse 1 and 2. When you get there, you see these words. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. For by it, that is faith, the men of old gained approval. What is this all about? Well, two words stick out. Assurance. And the other word is conviction. Assurance. That's the place where you stand. That's the place where you stand. That's the nature of assurance. Uh, the, the Greek word is hypostasis, which means to stand, what what stands under. We use it for foundation. We, we use it for the substructure that we rest upon. We've read the stories how Jesus explained a house can be built on sand, right? Or it can be built on a rock. And that made a difference, didn't it? The foundation made a difference when that house had the wind strike against it and the storm hit. Well, see, our our hope, as he says in this very first phrase, faith is the assurance, a place where you stand, that's where hope rests. The hope is your confident expectation. Not, I hope so. Too many people live by, I hope so. But this is my confident expectation. It rests upon a firm foundation, that which is sure. Did not God promise us forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ when we called for it? Yes. Do we have assurance in that? Is that our confident expectation that He has indeed forgiven us? Yes, it is. Do we find His word trustworthy? Are we confident that should we leave this earth today, we would step into the presence of God? There's your hope. There's your hope. This is what he's talking about. Faith is that foundation for your hope. It's what your hope rests upon. That's how you can live what we would call a peaceful life. One that acknowledges that God keeps his promise. And he always will. So you don't wrestle with that in the middle of the night, do you? You don't wake up and say, (gasps) That's usually the first reaction. And then,
1: I don't know, did he really
0: forgive me? You know, I've met people who struggle all the time with that question. Did he really forgive me? Did he really forgive me? Did he really... And they bring it up, and they bring it up, and they bring it up. And you say, didn't he say he did? did. What kind of foundation are they building on? That they are not assured of these things that they hope for. That's the first side of this picture. Faith is also defined as a conviction of things not seen. Conviction is what comes down to this. Uh, The proof or the evidence of that which is true. It's used in the court of law. It's when all the evidence is lined up on the table to prove the case. This conviction. We have not seen these things, but we have all the evidence to say that they are true. There are those who can live an entire life of doubting the obvious. I give you just one case in point. You can look it up and prove that so simply. Take Israel walking through the Red Sea. They were there, weren't they? They watched the water part, didn't they? They walked through that sea. I can't even imagine what it was like to look up on either side and see walls of water as they passed through on dry ground. They got to the other side and they acted like God had done nothing for them. Immediately they went into doubt. Immediately they started to complain and to bicker and to say, God doesn't care about us. God's not going to do anything for us. They just walked through the Red Sea.
1: And they saw his
0: power. The evidence was there. And they spent 40 years doubting him. And almost every instance, you'll find it. Go look it up. Almost every instance it's brought up. Remember the Red Sea? Remember the Red Sea? Remember the Red Sea? Remember the Red Sea? We need that remembrance. Because so often we could just parade around without the doubt. You see, it's sufficient to say that God has given us lots of evidence. Lots of evidence that he cares for us, that he provides for us. What, what, what's amazing is how often we step into the future as if the past means Nothing. We need to turn that past experience into evidence, you see. Evidence for that future trust. They have a need for conviction in their face. That's the conviction we speak of here. We can't point the finger at them and, and blame them too quickly, can we? We have ample evidence of God's character. Ample evidence of His love for us. Ample evidence of His work in our lives. And yet we still have bouts of disbelief, don't we? We struggle with the very same things. See, faith has its foundation in God's promise. But it also has the evidence that God keeps His word. That's what verse 1 is telling us. That's how these men lived back then. They didn't see,
1: but they trusted.
0: They knew what God had said, and they knew by experience He would keep His word. And that's why verse number 6 in that same chapter comes into play. Because without faith, it is impossible to please Him. But he who comes to God must believe that He is,
1: and that He is the rewarder of those who
0: seek Him. There's deep thoughts here. Years ago we did a study on Hebrews 11. I'm not going to repeat all that right now, but let's, let's just see this much. Faith is the thing that drives us to come to God. He must come to God. Faith drives us to seek God. You see, faith has no other direction it will go, but toward God. It's designed that way. The faith that the Spirit sets within us is God's word That's the kind of faith we're looking at here. It takes no other evidence but God. It comes only to Him. It seeks only Him. Why is this so? Because faith is not man's invention. It is not. Faith is God's creation. God's design is solely built to direct us toward Him. That's what it's for. It's to direct us toward Him. To direct us toward Him. Your flesh is not going to want that. But that's what the Holy Spirit has put within you. The faith to go to Him. Here's a good verse for you. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. Somebody would stop and say, Well, what, what is the gift of God? There it says, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that out of yourselves, it is a gift of God. You say, what is a gift of God? Is it grace? Yes, Uh, grace is a gift of God. I love that. Is it saved? Would you call that a gift? Oh, yes, it is. But you know what? In the sentence, all you grammar grammar people, uh, people who study grammar, all of you who know this, that you know that it, the pronoun, has to go to its antecedent, right? What is the thing said just before that? For by grace are you saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. What's its source? It's God who gives faith. It is God who does this work. You see, salvation is that. Yes. But how could I have ever responded to it by faith unless God did it? I'll make it simple for you.
1: Unless the Lord
0: has given you faith, you would not be saved today. You would not. Salvation is either all of Him or it's not of Him at all. Every ingredient of salvation is God's gift to us. When we read Ephesians chapter 2, that same place where that verse was, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it starts with the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. Unresponsive to stimuli. Incapable of reaction. If the Holy Spirit did not initiate life in us, If he did not give that spark of regeneration, we would have remained a spiritual corpse. But God in his great power, he's ignited life in us. He every bit of it instilled by him, empowering, drawing, exciting, responding, invigorating that life. He calls us faith. He brings salvation. See, we were nothing more than those lumps of clay where we picture Adam, where God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. God did it. And when we talk about faith, don't think for a minute that that's your manufactured piece. God did it. God did it. It's a gift from Him. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And since it's been placed in you, guess what it's designed for? Service. Like everything else he's instilled us with is for service. So I I pounded on that force today, didn't I? I want you to be absolutely positively convinced that the faith you have is a gift from God. It's a work of God. It's not your faith. That's not what he seeks after. So don't just walk up and hand him a chunk of your faith. Hand him what he has instilled in you. That pleases him. Because that's what you're trusting. is what He has done and not what you can do. It's not of ourselves. That way, we don't boast. Now, a couple of things I gleaned from this and I'll bring it to this point real simplistically. One person wrote this. Faith is the creation of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is not something... That springs out of our old nature, amended, educated, refined, not something that we create in ourselves by our own will or effort, but something that is wrought in us by divine power and energy. We might as well guard, we, well, as well might a gardener try to cover a dead stick with green leaves and luscious fruit. The thing is impossible. Every bit of the fruit which God which God loves is at work from first to last of the Holy Ghost. It is all, His is all the glory. And only in the simplest dependence upon Him and in the surrender of ourselves to His Almighty influence can we ever know this blessed fruit as ours to the glory of God. There's something simple in this whole picture, folks, that God has given to us this faith that we might use it in our duty in what we're called to be. We use the word faithful, don't we? What is the fruit? Faithfulness. Where should it be exhibited? Well, for one thing, probably only on Sundays, right? Only in church clothing. No, you know better. Faithfulness is a call for all of us in every aspect of our lives, right? That's what we're called to do. You know what that is? That's God working through you. That's His character showing in what you do, what you commit to, what you're dedicated to, how you fulfill service. After all, His words that you want to hear, and I know you do, is, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's not faithfulness on your part. That's faithfulness as to how he instilled that in you. You used his gift. That brings him glory. That brings him glory. You used his gift. So faith is first and foremost our trust in God. It's drawing us to him. It's leading us to him. How else could Abraham have ever picked up a knife to plunge it into his son? Unless he had faith that God had instilled in him. How how else could Noah have ever built that bow? If it wasn't for the fact that God had instilled that faith in him. Or Sarah went and painted the baby's room, Maybe she didn't. But I do know Moses painted blood on the doorposts. That was an act of faith. We could go on all morning with our cloud of witnesses, can't we? People who did things because of that faith. They did things. We look at the evidence. We live in the evidence. We watch the evidence all around us. These are our honored dead, folks. The honored dead who have done this for us and they still speak today. Trust the Lord. Fall upon His enabling, not yours. This Operation of faith must be His. It must be accomplished by His faith. Trust Him to work through you in this department. Now, I tell you, it's designed for service. And I want to bring it down to something real simple. Our ministries, whatever they are, and I could say that in a broad sense. I could say Sunday schools elders or whatever. But I could also say you as a Christian parent, as a Christian grandparent, as one who ministers to the lives of other people in one way or the other, we must have our lives, our ministries, saturated with the Spirit. It must be so. We must reflect His love, His joy, His peace, His patience, His kindness, His goodness, and guess what? His faith. Our ministry must be based on His promise. Our ministry must be based on His unchanging word, the evidence of His trustworthiness. You know, this church has been around for 121 years coming this year. It has had ample evidence that God can be trusted. You and I, most of us, would say that we've lived our 40 or 50 or 60 or even 70 or maybe 80 years with ample evidence that God can be trusted. Right? You've seen that. You've seen the evidence all around. We have faith, we say. But then we get into ministries. We're working with people. And many times when these people are going through the tough times, you say, Oh, they'll never change. You ever been there? You struggle with that? Maybe it's even one of your own children or your grandchildren and it breaks your heart. And you minister to them and minister to them. You say, they don't change. You can't change them. Who can? Do you believe it? There's ministry for you. You want to understand faith and ministry? That's it. I believe God can do it. And I go forward and serve. All he said was serve. He said, I'll take care of the results. I'll take care of the results. That service, when, take, when you apply faith to it, you're not trusting yourselves. You're not trusting the results. You're not trusting that this is that or this has to happen in order for you to convince it was a good ministry. You're trusting God. And He does the work. He does the work. This quote I love to tell you, that I say it often, I think, Whenever the spirit is at work, change is inevitable. It is inevitable. Hudson Taylor said these words, It's not a greater faith that you need, but faith in a great God. Think about that one for a while. It's not a greater faith that you need, but faith in a great God. You see, this God-given, God-empowered, god God Seeking faith will change us. It will change our ministries. It will change our service. Because without that faith, it is impossible to please Him. But with that faith, with that faith, we walk with the Spirit. We see change in us and in our service. So I come back to the main point. You will never have this faith unless you walk by the Spirit. That's our command, isn't it? Walk by the Spirit. So don't go out of here and say, Pastor told me to go work on my faith. No, I did not. I said go walk with the Spirit. He gives the faith. Understand the source? It's important for service. Heavenly Father... We have to stop right here and acknowledge the words that your word has said today. How often, Lord, we've tried to do your work our way. With our strength, with our wisdom, with our will, we've inserted an awful lot of ourselves in this thing we call faith. And we stop today right where we are and acknowledge the source again. This is your faith. It's a gift from you. That is what you've called us to use. To use your faith for your glory. And we have to submit right here, and it's going to hurt somewhat, because our flesh is fighting so strongly against it. It still wants patted on the back. The Lord, teach us faith. And how it must be used for your honor and glory. Because we realize, Lord, as true as it is, it is impossible to please you without it. Do your work in our hearts, Lord. Help us to grasp this, if if nothing else, to know that you're the source. You're the source. And that's where we must go. As a church, as a congregation, we stand before you, Lord. As those who have seen the evidence of your love, your care, even your faithfulness in our midst for so, so many years. We are blessed beyond words. And we thank you, Lord. But today is not the day when we start to do things in our own strength. Nor is tomorrow. We must walk by the Spirit to know this faith. And as individuals, Lord, we each have lives and we each have struggles. We each have things that we long for, dream of, especially when it comes to ministry. And when it comes to those who are not walking with you. Our hearts want to see them change. But that's your department. And we're called to minister by faith. And that's your faith. Teach us again, Lord, to keep our eyes on you. And serve you as you have called us to. That it be your power that changes lives. Your power that draws men to yourself. Your power that gets the glory. Teach us this faith we pray. For all of us Lord we're needy today. But show us how dependent we are on you. That we would trust you more. In Jesus name. Amen.